0: If we had to give uh, today a title, the message would be titled Holding Near, Holding Dear, the Word of God. Holding Near, Holding Dear, the Word of God. Let's read our scripture together. We'll pray and then we'll take a few minutes to see what the Lord has for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, start at verse number 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. But denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses. And lead captive silly women laden with sins. Led away with divers lusts. Ever learning. And ever able to come. And never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Notice verse number 7 and what it's saying. Ever learning. And never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Go to verse number 13 for the sake of time. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Pay attention to verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." Let the church say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we come back into your presence. Lord, we're so thankful for what you've already accomplished here in this service today. Our hearts are full. Lord, we've been able to baptize and see the dedication of a beautiful child. Lord, prayers that have been answered right before our very eyes, manifested to us to show to the whole church family in front of the face of all of these that are here that you are a God that hears and answers prayer. You're a God who cares about the needs, the wants and desires of our very heart. And you are a good God. And we praise your holy name. We thank you for the song service we've just experienced for your presence in this place. Now, Lord, I pray for just a few minutes that there would be liberty to preach the word of God, that you would challenge every heart and every mind with the truth of the word of God, that you would hide me behind the cross. Lord, my desire is to be a simple vessel hidden away for your use, for your glory. Use thy word. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. There is a battle for truth in our generation. There is a great battle, a war against light. There is an aggression against truth and against light. And at the top of the enemy's list, at the very top of the list of undesirable items as according to the enemy, is one supreme document, one truth, one light that it wars against the most. And at the very top of the list of things that the enemy wars against as it pertains to truth is the Word of God, the Bible. Uh, The enemy, the devil and his horde, hates the truth of God's Word. It tries to separate men from the truth, of God's Word and keeps them subdued from the truth that they have access to the truth and wars to make that truth seem unimaginable or unascertainable or that even that the truth is actually a lie. In our culture, the day that we're living in, we can go back in history and time. We have access to so much through academia. We know that intellectuals, we know that great sums of money have been paid. There have been institutions and colleges and universities and doctorates that have spent years trying to punch holes or trying to erode the fact that the Bible is the truth. And in doing that, there's also been an attempt to take the person, the perfect man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and strip him away from the truth of who he really is. To plant seeds of doubt in people's heart that Jesus was not a real man or that Jesus is just simply a story of folklore or that Jesus was a man and he was a good teacher and a good person, but there was nothing supernatural nor divine about this man, this Jesus, this Christ. This is all in concert together, working against the supremacy of truth that we know in our hearts to be the word of God. And in the. These years, these decades, I might even add hundreds of years of warring against the truth... "...there still comes doubt in the heart and the mind of even the most staunch believer at times in the form of spiritual warfare. The enemy will always come after the promises that God has made to his people in his word. Anything that attacks or robs you of the peace of a promise that God made in his word is a form of spiritual warfare." Anything that whispers in the midnight hour that would cause you to doubt who Jesus is or cause you to doubt the scriptures and what they say or to cause you to question what you believe and why you believe it. Anything that comes in that form is nothing more than spiritual warfare, an attack against truth. And the fight, the war against the word of God has never been more prevalent than it is right now. And it's never been more important than it is right now for God's people, for Christians, for people who want to embrace and really know the truth, to protect the truth in its entirety. The truth is under attack. Light is under attack. It's not just happening in our culture. This is not just something that's uh, fought on Twitter or Instagram, or within liberal universities all across the world. This is a fight that's even coming to the doors of the church, the New Testament local Bible-believing church. This is a war that comes even to our front door today. The inerrancy, the infallibility, the holiness of Scripture. And I want today to give you a few things from my heart that I feel God really brought to the surface this week as we understand where we are as a people, where we look at at our lives collectively and individually, and what we desperately need as members of Trinity Baptist Church, members of the church, the remnant that remaineth, as God prepares us for these last days, these perilous times, that we would know and understand on a deep personal level just how important, just how dear, and just how near... The word of God should be to our heart and to our lives. Uh, There's a church, we'll use that term loosely, but there is a church in Nashville, Tennessee. They call themselves Grace Point Church. And this church is led by a person called Josh Scott. He leads this movement. He's one of the national faces of what he likes to call progressive Christianity. And he recently made some terrifying statements about The word of God, the Bible, making the case that the Bible isn't the word of God. A pastor standing in a pulpit saying and teaching emphatically that the Bible is not the word of God. You see, I don't believe that even happened. We're able to find one of the resources from the sermon in question. We'll put that on the screen. I want you to see what this pastor produced. Uh, On the left, you see the Bible isn't. And the first thing there, the Word of God. The Bible isn't self-interpreting. The Bible isn't a science book, an answer or rule book. And then here at the bottom, the Bible isn't inerrant or infallible. He says that the Bible is a product of community, a library of text, multivocal, a human response to God. Living And dynamic as to say that it changes and adapts over time and when asked about his radical view and his radical statements from the pulpit Scott said this there is stuff in the Bible that I think really goes against the character of God there are genocides that have been divinely sanctioned in the Bible people have used the text in the Bible plain readings of the text at times to support white supremacy to defend slavery, to defend segregation. Saying the Bible is inerrant and infallible absolves us of our responsibility to do what our ancestors did, which is to wrestle, as in the truth, end quote. He went on to say that people should see the Bible in a fresh light. Church, this statement, this teaching, this work, this theology is a theology and a work that was born in hell. This is a carnal man attracting carnal men. This isn't a church, rather it's a perversion of what the Apostle Paul told us would come. I draw your attention back to Galatians 1 verse 9. As we have said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. The word there, accursed, in the Greek is anathema. It's one of the most horrendous words in all of the Greek New Testament. It means to be eternally separated from God. It's a horrifying word. And Jesus told us this would come. Jesus told us these days would come. He warned against it. He says in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You say, pastor, maybe you shouldn't say his name or talk about him individually or specifically. Church, we live in such a modern connected age where you can go to YouTube and find a seemingly unharmful podcast or post or video that it's time that the church re-identify what we know to be truth, hold on to that truth, and then when untruth comes, be ready to stand up to it and say, that does not belong in my life or in my home. You must discern through the Word of God what is truth and what is false. And the sad part about this woke wolf is that he has families that come to his congregation each and every week. And he feeds them from his pulpit this horrendous new gospel of progressiveness and inclusiveness that includes everybody but God. It's dangerous. And our prayer today is that this man would repent, he would be saved, and that this church would see the air of this teaching. And we pray for that Today, we pray that truth would prevail for the sake of those families and their children. But today, our focus is not the air of a false teacher. Our focus today is on the truth that you and I possess in our laps today, the Word of God. There are certain things within church church world will say that loosely. There are certain things within the the makings of a church that will put under the category of preference. Some churches prefer the temperature to be a little cooler, some a little warmer. Some like pews, some like chairs. Some like screens, some don't. Some like drums, some don't think it's right. Some like this music, some like that music. There are certain things that we can label as preference. There are certain things, though... That come to mind today that are absolute, unquestionably immovable within the life and the heart of a real church that loves God, that follows the teachings and the preachings of Jesus. And at the very tippity top of that list is the word of God. It may not be politically correct to say that. It may not be popular opinion in the culture. Asheville may get a little heartburn when you say you believe the Bible and its entirety, but God did not call us to be man-pleasers. Rather, God has saved us gloriously to bring honor and glory to His name and to be conveyors of the truth. God's called us to be salt, to be light, to interject ourselves into the community, into the world, but to be the difference, not because of who we are, not because we're better without Christ than they are, but because of what Christ has done for us. We possess the truth. Somebody say amen. I'm not here today with blind mind nor blind eyes. I have seen the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know and I possess the truth. The truth, the truth, the truth. I own it. I possess it. I have it. And I want to give you three truths about the word of God. We'll use some scripture to look at this together. But every Christian, every member of this church should know this, hide this in their heart. And be ready to answer why you believe this. Number one, the Word of God is infallible. The Word of God is infallible. That means incapable of error. There is no way the Bible can have an error. There is nothing within the Bible that can be found to be lacking in truth. There is no hidden meaning. There is no ulterior motive that leads to deception. Rather, everything you find in the Word of God, as God put it there, is truth. It is inerrant. It is infallible. In its infallibility, the Word of God is simply a book, a text, a living Word that can never fail. The Word of God can never fail. I want to give you some context onto the strength and to the power and to the infallibility, the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, We talked about it last Sunday night. We talked about the transfiguration of Jesus on Mount Hermon. And 15 of you just rolled your eyes and said, here we go again, the transfiguration. But, But it's incredible what God did in that moment on that mountain. The transfiguration of Jesus is one of the most important moments in all of redemptive history. One of the most important moments in all of your New Testament. One of the most powerful, most glorious moments in all of the New Testament is when Jesus is on top of that mountain and there's uh, James and Peter and John who get to be witnesses. And there in the Shekinah glory, the cloud comes. There's God the Father, the Son, Jesus. It says that He literally changed the way He looked, His countenance, His vesture. He was glistening as lightning shining. He became what He looks like in heaven on earth on top of that mountain. And then there came Elisha and Moses and a conversation about Jesus and His soon coming death in Jerusalem. A very powerful, glorious moment. Peter even said, Jesus... This is really good up here. Let's make a tent. Let's make a tabernacle. And let's stay right here on top of this mountain. I don't want to leave. Peter didn't want to leave the revival service. God was moving. There was glory and there was power. I think he was probably a really good Baptist. He wanted to stay up on the mountain and stay with meeting. I know somebody else like that. He didn't want to leave. You'll be in Albemarle till Christmas. But Peter didn't want to leave because of all that he was seeing, the glory, the experience. But then if you go to Peter's eyewitness statement, his account of what happened on that mountain, go to 2 Peter 1.19, it'll be on your screen as well. Look what Peter said. He said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that take heed, as unto the light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, what Peter could have been saying there, he could have been saying that the transfiguration of Jesus, Christ's majesty in that moment, confirms the Scriptures. Everything we've believed is true. Moses was a man. Elijah was a man. The prophets of old. It's all true. But the way the Greek lays out the text does not allow that to be what this means. Peter was very specific in the way he lays this out. Peter was saying, that, it's, and it's crucial that we understand this. Peter was saying, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. The order is crucial. He was saying that the scripture, what you hold in your lap today, the word of God, he elevates above the experience of what he saw on the mountain in the majesty. Take your Bible with me. Put it in your hand. Put it like this. Bring it up to your head unless you need rotator cuff surgery. Don't do it. But bring it up right here. Peter was saying, I saw Elijah. I saw Moses. I saw Jesus in his holy form. I saw, I smelled, and I felt the Shekinah glory on the mountain. And it was powerful and it was glorious. And praise God, I wanted to stay. But Peter says, Christians... What you have in your hand is more authoritative, it's more sure, and it's a better witness than even what I saw. The Word of God is infallible. It's without error. It's a more reliable verification of the teachings, of the preachings, of the atonement, of the salvation, and the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter said even more than my experience. Do you see now how important your Bible really is? Inerrant, infallible, holy, and inspired. This verse that we read a minute ago in 2 Timothy 3, verse number 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you take all of that in literal meaning, it means that God breathed it out or God breathed. The fact that God breathed Scripture, every word Every line, every paragraph, every meaning came from God himself, inspired by God. And if we believe that our God is who he says he is, and if our God is perfect and true and righteous and holy, then what God breathes out and what God inspires can have nothing that's out of the character of who God is. So if God breathes out something, it's without error, it's without fault, it's without fracture, it's perfect. The Bible says that every word was inspired, all Scripture given by the inspiration of God. And the doctrine of Scripture's infallibility is based on the understanding of God's character the person of God. That's why this is so dangerous what this pastor in Tennessee has done. Because if you take away the scripture, if you take away God's word, then you must alter Christ. If you want to change scripture and what it says, then you must alter salvation. You must alter God himself. The Bible warns that it'd be better for you to be cursed into hell for all of eternity than to do so. So important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. It's so important that we know who it is we're listening to on YouTube or on sermon audio and know what the man believes and why he's teaching and preaching what he's teaching. The Word of God is perfect. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's an incredible truth. To embrace the power, the infallibility of God's word. John 1.14, a verse that a lot of us know. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That God so put his stamp of approval on the word of God. That Jesus, the son portion of the Godhead would be called the word. The Bible is important to God. And he puts his stamp of approval on it. Number one, the Bible is infallible. Number two, the Bible is strong. The Bible is strong. We do not serve a weak God. We do not serve a sheepish or scared God. We serve a God of great strength, of great power, of great mercy, and of great love. And what he has given to us through his word, it all will stand the test of time. It will never fracture on its own. You'll never be able to come to a place where you say, well, the Bible has its day and we need to probably get it out of circulation and and do something a little different. It's never going to have an expiration date as long as time continues. The Word of God goes on and on. Revelation 22 gives us yet again another little glimpse into what uh, the Lord thinks of Scripture and how important the Bible really is. Verse number 6 of Revelation 22. And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book, the only book inspired by God Himself, written by God Himself. And it's the only book that can set a man free. It's the only book that can change a man's life. It's the only book that can take a dead man and make him a live man, a new man, in the person of Christ. And by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit through the preached Word of God, the truth of what God is and who God is and who Christ is, it can change a life. The Word of God is strong. It's a powerful book certified for us even in Revelation. Blessed is that man who keeps the book. So church, if we believe that the Bible is inerrant, infallible, holy and inspired. If we believe that the Bible captures the character of who our God is, strong and mighty, sure and righteous. If we believe that then why would we as Christians go to anything else for inspiration, for guidance, for our lives? Why would anything of this world mean more to us than what we can find in this perfect book? I can think of a lot of things in this world that are not perfect. I want them to be perfect. I wish that I was a perfect husband. I'm really close. Say amen. No amen. But it's not a perfect entity. It's not a perfect marriage. You know what we have to do? We're desperate for the Lord to keep us, to show us, to direct us. I love American history. I love America. I love the red, white, and blue. I love even American politics, believe it or not. I want my nose right in the middle of it. But you know what I find when I assess America. When I assess our government, when I assess our democratic republic, I find things that are not perfect. They're just not perfect. It's practicing medicine for a reason. It's not a perfect practice. We treat the patient, we treat the symptoms, we give the medications we know to, but it doesn't always work even though we follow the guidelines. You'll never find that within the word of God. It is a perfect book. The recipe here will never change. The truth here will never change. The prescription will never change. And even though there are days and there are hours where I look at the pages and I see nothing but black letters on white pages. You know what I'm finding as I grow older? That's not a me problem. That's not a God problem. But rather that is a me problem. I'm the issue. Oh me of little faith. God doesn't change. He's always faithful. He's always true. So why would the church not turn to the love letter, to the book of correction, the book of understanding that it knows to be absolutely perfect? And I'm thankful that there are so many faithful people who have lived for decades faithfully to the Lord that write books. I love those books. One of my favorite books in this world is the testimony of my great-grandfather. I love Poppy's book. I've read it 364 times. I'll read it another. I love that book. But as powerful as that book is and as a great testimony as that book is, it cannot replace what the Bible does in my life. I love reading after men who live faithfully, who wrote incredible things. But at the end of the day, those men cannot do for me what the Bible does for me. It's a strong book. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Many books in my library Are now behind and beneath me. They were good in their way once, and so were the clothes I wore when I was ten years old. But I have outgrown them. Nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. End quote. You see, you need the Bible when you're a baby, when you're a child. You need it when you're in 6th grade, 8th grade, when you're getting ready to graduate college, when you're getting ready to go to the Social Security Department and take your first payment from Social Security. You need the Word of God. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you have lived, you need this strong, infallible book. Miss Debbie, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. I remember in Children's Church, in Awana, coming into the basement of that old building and having our time together and we would sing and we'd memorize verses and one of the songs that i recall earlier than any about any other song that we learned was a a song about the bible and many of you may know it the b-i-b-l-e yes that's the book for me I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. How many remember that? Raise your hand. Well, you should be singing it all together now. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And then all of Miss Debbie's students would at one time scream to the top of their lungs, Bible! But that was six and seven years old and it may just seem like a silly song. But here I am 26, 27 years later and I can say with all honesty and all love that those were the greatest moments of my childhood training me to become the man that I am today. I've not been perfect. I've had moments of rebellion and an attitude that wasn't right. But I never could shake That song, it's the book for me. Number three, the Bible is for me. It's personal. Number one, the Bible is infallible. Number two, the Bible is strong. The word of God is strong. And number three, the word of God is for me. You see, we look at the Bible sometimes and we forget what's there. We may look at the Bible and see one thing. We may look at the Bible and get one character, one person, one story at a time. But remember, when you look at your Bible, when you hold your Bible, what it is that's in your hands. You see, it's the source of my salvation, the strength of my life, the living water that quenches my thirst. It's the stability for my life, for my marriage, for my walk. It's stability even for my friendships. It's the keeper of my Of my sanity. If you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with depression, if you're looking at the world around you and it's making you sad to the point you feel like you don't want to be here anymore, do you know what you need to do in your life today? You need to erase some apps off your phone, you need to turn off Fox News, and you need to get into the book of stability for your life. The greatest antidote to depression, the greatest antidote to anxiety is for you to know as a Christian that this is not your home. But you don't know that if you don't read it. The Bible is so much more than a black book cover to cover about Jesus. It is so personal. It is for me. This verse, verse 16, let's go back to it and this is where we'll finish today. 2 Timothy 3.16, we talked about this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it, He designed it, He made it, and then He qualified it. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine is divine instruction. It's not that it would be our opinion on the way it should work, but rather God has the opinion and has set it before us. Instruction on what we should believe and why we should believe it. You can find that in one place. God's Word. Divine instruction. He talks about reproof here. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof is rebuke for wrong behavior, for wrong belief. The Scripture exposes sin. And then that sin through God's Word can be dealt with with repentance and confession to God. You see, I can get out of line. Did you, did you know that? It's hard to believe I know. But here's the problem. I'm saved, amen? I'm sanctified, amen? But I'm still waiting for glorification. I still have old rotten flesh, And if I'm not careful, and if this is not in my life on the daily, if John 3.30 is not part of my daily execution process. You see, Winston Parrish, the man, must die daily. You might as well put my obituary in the Asheville Citizen Times every day, because this flesh has to die. It must come under the subjection of what? The Word of God. Because if that does not happen, do you know what my old rotten, wicked flesh will do? It'll get ahead of itself and it'll get me out of character. It'll take me places I do not belong. It will do things, it'll allow things to come about that a Christian has no business doing or saying. The flesh is rotten and wicked. The human heart, according to the weeping prophet, as we have said, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. That's what has to die daily. That can only happen if this happens daily. I love getting up in the morning and having breakfast. I love getting up in the morning and having breakfast that I didn't even have to cook. Coffee, hot, so hot it'll burn your lips off your face. So it can take a little of the cream. I love that moment when that first sip of coffee just kicks in. It's it's incredible. It's one of the greatest things ever. Have your sweet tea. Give me my coffee. Coffee. It's refreshing. It gets me going for the day. Do you know what your spiritual man needs each and every day? It needs some honey that's sweeter than honey that you know. It's a spiritual man that needs to be fed. And if you emaciate that spiritual man, he'll die. He'll become weak. He'll become sick. And if you're not careful, then when you come into the congregation, your sick spiritual man will make the whole body sick because you're weak and you're susceptible to the things of the world. The word of God is for me. Reproof, uh, correction. This is the restoration. This is where God takes something that has fallen down and picks it back up and cleans it off and says, I love you. And remember, I forgave you of your sins when I saved you. Are you staying with me on this? I forgave you of your sins. What do we know about Satan? He's a liar, he's a dammer, and he's a deceiver. And one of his favorite tools in his belt is accusation. That he would point to something you used to be. That he would point to something you used to do. That he would bring up old sin, old past, and put it right before your very face and say, There's no way God loves you. There's no way you'll ever be able to enjoy life because of what you used to be. He's an accuser. But if we go to the Word of God, we learn that at our moment of salvation, every sin we would ever commit was forgiven at that very moment. And because we are a new man, regenerated in Christ, Christ loves us enough. He says, come to me, know more about me, grow in the grace and the knowledge so that you can live with a clean conscience that's guilt-free because there is therefore no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. That's how this is set up. That can't happen for you if this doesn't happen for you. It's like showing up to book club and you're going to talk about chapter 5. You have no idea what happened in chapter 5. The next thing you know, you've killed the main character in a Jeep accident and they ain't even got Jeeps. It's a horse and buggy story. Don't go to book club and not know the story. There is for you here the greatest resource of your life. The greatest resource for your marriage, for your family, for your children, and for our church. The Word of God. And we need in these days, as things change, the trumpet could sound at any moment. I pray to God that there's a great revival in our country. I still believe God can. I believe He could change things in one afternoon. I believe it. But if He chooses not to send that revival... I am looking for rapture. I'm waiting for His return. And at any moment, the trumpet could sound. You can help me on the piano as we leave this beautiful Lord's Day. I would just humbly ask you to examine yourself today as it pertains to the Word of God. There's three things I want you to think about. Placement, time, and authority. Placement, time, Authority the Bible that you read each week that you're consuming where you're getting fed from where has that Bible been this week the Bible that you normally go to to read where has it been this week you say well I got busy life happened kids sometimes it's as simple as silly things like Atlanta Braves games that can distract us even this week I had to say Lord I'm sorry that time was supposed to be for us. And I let something as silly as Spencer Strider absolutely throwing gas keep me from the most beautiful love letter written just for me. We're humans. It's so easy to be distracted. But in these days, in these hours that we're living in, you're going to need this desperately. Where has your Bible been this week? And then the second thing I want you to ask is the time. When you picked up your Bible, how much time did you really give it? Was there some exploration? Did you pray as you read? Did you say, God, show me something, encourage me, teach me, Lord. And then the last thing is the authority. What was your response to what you read this week? Did God show you something? Did he put his finger on something inside your heart and say, that needs to change? Did you respond to that authority or did you just shrug it away and say, well, life, it's busy, it's tough. Check, let's take an opportunity to really check ourselves, our intentions, our motivations when it comes to the time, the placement, and the authority of God's Word in our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you're lost, you're undone without Christ, you need to know more about what it means to be saved. If you want us to take God's Word and show you what the Scripture says, you can do that today. If you're here and there's things in your life you know that need to change, if God's Word has become an absence, there's something missing in your walk with Him, maybe this would be the day You could say, Lord, help me to do what I know I need to do. To be the husband, to be the wife, the father, the mother, that I need to be in our home. Maybe there's some parents that need to come together today and say, Lord, we want the Bible, we want the Word of God to be the guiding light, the will that steers our home. And today we want to make that proclamation. We want you to help us. No matter who you are, no matter what stage of life you're in today, the Word of God is for you. No matter your skin color, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done in your past, there's something that pertains to you. It's relevant in your life right where you are. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to touch hearts and lives. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your Word. We thank you for the power, the strength, the majesty of your word. God, I'm thankful that I do not have to worry that my Bible will fail me or fracture. But Lord, by the authority of your word, Lord, we stand upon the truth of your word and we cling to the promises that are before us. God, I pray that each and every person here would examine their own lives, their own hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us Be the people you want us to be. Be the children of God, the church that you want us to be. And help us to cling to your word. Help us to draw near to your word. Lord, our desire is to be closer to you, to be led by you. Do it for your glory and for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name the church said, amen and amen. Men, our Tuesday prayer time, we are transitioning to a Thursday prayer event for our men, the 9 o'clock prayer time is now becoming a 6.30 p.m. prayer time and Bible study. We'll begin with Bible study here in the main sanctuary. Our pastors will be rotating through that teaching. We've got a very specific thing that we're going to be teaching through. Uh, I'll start the first week or so uh, in November, and that happens in in November on the, somebody give me that date. Is it the 6th? Be the third. Okay, so that first week of November will be our first time together on Thursday. Uh, our Ladies Bible Study, Miss Debbie, thank you so very much for being flexible. We're trying to get all of our ministries in the right place. And Lord willing, uh, once we get everything settled and, and in, we'll be set. And so our men, 6.30 p.m. right here. Miss Debbie, are you still starting at 6 p.m.? 6 p.m. Ladies Bible Study. Something for everybody that's here to come, plug in, be a part of And we're thankful for all that God is doing. Pastor Nathan, I want you to come. I want you to give us our instructions as we exit.